Mud Stories, Episode 66. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. This is a humbling practice to do this because so often we find that we are the problem. But if you truly want to have the relationship that you've always dreamed, and it really is creating the marriage you've always wanted with the spouse you already have, the only way you're truly going to do that is if you pause and look inside yourself rather than the person that you're speaking to rather than your spouse and ask yourself, what is this emotion I'm feeling in this moment? And unpeel those layers until you get to the original one. And a lot of times we will find that when we unpeel and we get to that original emotion, it has nothing to do with the person we're in a conversation with at that moment. It's a prior hurt, it's prior baggage, and not having dealt with that, then it just keeps coming up. So when you pause and you literally sit there and just pray and say, what is this original emotion and don't actually speak until you can identify it. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friend, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so super happy that you're here and whatever it is that you're doing, I hope you're having a wonderful day and happy November to you. This is the first week of November and I'm so thrilled to be spending this time with you. Today I have a very engaging and dynamic episode about relationships and more specifically about marriage, although I really think that what our guest is going to share with us can apply to any relationship relationship. And, uh, you know, I know that we all have relationships that matter to us, whether it's marriage or friendship or our children or our friends and family. And so it's my hope that this episode is going to have some nuggets of wisdom, tips and advice for you and your relationships. Today, I'm talking with Fawn Weaver, who is an entrepreneur, a real estate investor, a chief strategy and financial corporate officer, and most importantly, she is the proud and happy wife to Keith Weaver. She's also a blogger and an author of a New York Times bestselling book called The Happy Wives Club, and her latest book that she's just released entitled The Argument-Free Marriage, 28 Days to Celebrating the Marriage You've Always Wanted with a Spouse You Already Have. Now, I know that sounds like this is specific to marriage, but I promise it's going to apply to any relationship. But I have to tell you, when I received the copy from the publisher, I thought to myself, really? (laughs) Argument-free marriage? Because I don't know about you, but I do not have an argument-free marriage. I have never had an argument-free marriage, and I'm think I'd be hard-pressed to find one of you who does as well. And so I was intrigued and excited to read what Fawn had to say, and I will tell you after reading it, I was pleasantly surprised. And so I extended an invitation to her to join us here and to share not only some tips and strategies and insight and wisdom about having argument-free relationships, but also for her to share her personal mud story with us, because I think you're going to find that You know, all of us have mud in life and, you know, we've all experienced adversity or suffering, something we've chosen or something that's been done to us. And, you know, it is just remarkable, the resilience of the human spirit. And as I've promised each and every time, each and every episode, to bring you the real and rawness of the mud that we all face and for us to see how God has transformed and used it for good in the lives of the people that I talk to here on this podcast. And my hope is, my great hope, is that you, no matter what you're facing today, that you will know that God can meet you too. And he is working even now 
all things for good in your life. And so it's my hope that you're greatly encouraged today and that your relationships will become stronger, more cohesive, more resilient, and more vulnerable and really more fulfilling as a result of hearing what Fawn has to share. And stay Stay with me after the episode ends because I'm going to tell you some information about how you can win a copy of Fawn's book. And so without further delay, here is my conversation with Fawn Weaver. Enjoy. Hi, Fawn. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so glad you're here. So glad to be here. Well, thanks for saying yes. I think we both live in Southern California. And in fact, I first became acquainted with you through our mutual friend, Jennifer Smith. Jennifer and I went to church together. And she's the one who told me about you and your side and all the things that you had going on. And so thanks for being here Aww. today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, I would love it if you would just take a moment and introduce us to yourself and, you know, where you live, what you do, what you love, and uh, what's the latest thing happening in your life. <laughs> well, <laughs> I am Fawn, as you mentioned, and I am an author in terms of marriage and, and a blogger. I blog on, on happily married couples and specifically uh, geared toward happy wives. But then on the business side of things, I'm an investor in real estate and technology and lifestyle brands. So I go between the Los Angeles area and Portland currently because I have an ongoing project up here. So right now my brain's about to explode just between the two. (laughs) (laughs) So when, when someone says, where are you going from here? The only thing I can think of is a nap. (laughs) I would love a nap. (laughs) Well, I know always in a state of longing for more sleep. I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But all things with uh, intense purpose and um, God has with such provision giving given you, you know, things to do. And uh, it's meeting a lot of people. And I'm just so thankful for the work that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about your online community and what you created for wives. Sure. I have the Happy Wives Club. So it's happywivesclub.com, but also the community more so lives on Facebook in in terms of engagement. So the website itself has a lot of content, but in terms of where the wives engage with each other and give each other ideas and thoughts and advice, it's on the Facebook page. And it's a community of close to a million women in about 110 countries around the world. And it is, it's a beautiful community because you have women who have been happily married for 25, 35, 45 years that are willing to share their wisdom and their advice with those who are just married or 10 years in or going through a difficult time. And so what I love about the community is, is I don't look at myself as a leader, if you will, or an expert. I look at myself as a conduit of information. So I learn from those that are, have been doing it for much longer than me. I've been happily married 12 years and I pass that information on to those who have been married less than I have. And it's, it's been, (laughs) it's been an amazing experience because I'm my own Guinea pig. When, when a couple says we've been doing this for 20 years, I go to my husband and go, Hey babe, can we try this? (laughs) 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 And then I report back the results and it's, it's, I mean, it's an amazing thing. Like a live experiment with fawn. That sounds it fascinating. Is. Yeah. Love Total it. guinea pig, and I love it. Love it. Well, here on the Mud Stories podcast, we talk about muddy stories. And, you know, there is hardly a person that I meet that doesn't have a story of adversity or suffering or some kind of trial in their life. And before we talk about marriage, which I'm totally excited to talk to you about because we all know marriage can be muddy for so many of us and so hard. I'd love it if you'd take us back and share maybe a time in your life or some experiences you had earlier in life that hardship and adversity um, were things that you faced and struggled through and how really that has shaped you and molded you, what you've learned from it, you know, and a little bit about how we can get up to speed to where it's brought you today. Absolutely. Well, my entire perspective of life now and the marriage that my husband and I have created, which is a a really fantastic, amazing, loving, caring, honest, transparent, respectful relationship, 
it, it is really rooted in that I realized growing up, I went through a really rough period of time and you know this, but for the, for the listeners, I went through a period of time almost about 20 years ago where I attempted suicide, not once, but twice and ended up having to, to go into a psychiatric ward and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with me. And, and honestly, I couldn't tell them what was wrong with me. And and Mm -hmm. it was nothing that was psychotic. I just did not have hope. And coming out on the other side of that and 10 years later and more than that, looking at it and looking back and saying, what was it? I mean, what was the trigger? And really it was just, I had the wrong perspective when I was looking at everything. I was focused on everything that I did not have. And I didn't spend any time focused on what I did have. I spent all of my time focused on what things people had done to me rather than focusing on the things I could have done better in my own life. And so that shift in my in my life now about, uh, gosh, now 18 years ago, I would say about the shift happened. So just maybe a year or so after the suicide attempts, that shift in my life and that, that constant communication with the Lord over why did I see things the way that I see them and how can I see them differently now? Mm. And that's carried through the last couple decades of my life. And, and you and I talked about this when we talk about muddy stories. And when we talk about muddy marriage, it's hard for me to be that person to represent a muddy marriage because I've never had one because I went through my muddy stuff before I got married and I didn't carry it into my marriage with me. And that's so key, don't you think? I mean, for us to it's, deal with yeah. our pain, because I'm guessing you didn't wake up one day and just decide, I think I want to die today. I'm going to try to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guessing there's a backstory of experiences that led you to a place where you had lost hope. You know, we don't we don't Absolutely. just wake up one day in crisis, you know, and I'm, no, I'm guessing don't. there's a lot of people listening who, you know, might not be a suicide attempt, but some kind of place that they ended up landing over time where there wasn't hope. And, and so what for you, just for those people, what was the process for you as you went through? I mean, what led up to you actually having the shift in perspective? Well, I did something that I, most people don't have the liberty of doing. And because most people are in the midst of their lives, mid listening to your show, I imagine mid thirties, late thirties, early forties, mm-hmm. I was in my, I was just coming out of my teenage years. So baby, baby twenties, right? Yeah, so 20 yeah. years old when, when this was going on. And I moved into my sister's guest house and I decided that I would for six months shut out the world and I would do nothing but read and pray and fast and read and pray. I shut off television, movies, every anything that could be an outside influence. And literally in this small guest house, I consumed every book that you could imagine. So I would spend hours in the Word every day and hours reading books that would complement the Word. It doesn't mean they were all Christian books because mm-hmm. even one book by Phil McGraw is one that I remember the most at the time. Yeah. It was called Self Matters. Mm-hmm. But I was reading devotional books and reading my utmost for his highest every day. That was my day. And so I'd begin that way for several hours and I would walk to work. I would work and then I would walk back home and, and I would continue devouring information. And it was that period of time over that six months that I allowed the Lord to just speak to me unfiltered. And when you cut off the world, it's a lot easier for him to speak. And his voice is very, very, very clear when you allow him to speak in a very still and quiet voice. He won't yell. He won't shout. And if you're moving quickly, he won't try to keep up with you. And so slowing my role down completely to give him that opportunity to to speak into my life, what I'm sure he would have liked to for the 20 years prior to that, it changed everything. And so my life moving forward is completely different and has been completely different because I can always go back to that place of remembering mm-hmm. how foolish was I to be looking at everything I did not have instead of everything that I do have. And I apply that to every aspect of my life, to work, to my marriage. If my husband does something that isn't perfect, it's how foolish am I to focus on the one thing he does that isn't amazing when he just did 10 things that are. Yeah. Do you think that your place of hope was a product of... Um, just normal adolescent uh, 
you know, how how we go through that developmental time of being unsure of who we are and where we fit in the world and growing through those years? Or were there other outside events and traumas that predisposed you to a lack of hope? There weren't any traumas. So I think it is what a lot of, for for me, and, and I was a preacher's kid and a lot of preacher's kids kind of go through this period yeah. of, of real difficulty because they there is a bit of a, Unfortunately, within the church, there is a lot of, I don't know any other word for it than superficiality. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so, so there, there is this yep. kind of picture perfect mm-hmm. everything. And you have parents that are trying to live up yep. to it. And then you have sisters and brothers trying to live up to it. And I was that black sheep that had no interest, mm-hmm. none whatsoever. I was going to give it to you exactly the way it was, exactly the way I felt it in that moment. Yeah. And I was not going to be a part of the pretending. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, that didn't go over well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see no. how this is going for sure. <laughs> but you have to know there's some other people I've interviewed o- over the course of, you know, six something podcasts who have told me a similar story, you know, because unfortunately, when when we tend toward buying into a fundamental sort of perspective where rules are black and white and we have to perform for God, it leads to a lot of comparison and a lot of feeling less yep. than. And I, I'm convinced that um, God wants us to really be soaked in a message that's full of grace, grace that he's given us and grace that we really need to give each other. And so I'm glad you're sharing that part because I think uh, a lot of people are going to be able to, able to relate to that a lot. So well, and it's it's grace and it's also freedom. Yeah. So his desire is for us to live in freedom, but we've we've literally almost every Christian I know lives in bondage. But that's a choice that we've made. That's mm-hmm. not one that he's done. That's, that's something right. that we've man made. And so I have lived a life for the last at this point nineteen years, eighteen nineteen years of freedom. And so I think that a part of my my relationship with my husband and a part of my relationship with my family and the world in general comes from a place of being able to give grace to others because I give grace to myself. Oh, that is so big. Grace to yourself is so key because I don't think unless we can give grace to ourselves, we're really capable of giving it to anyone else. We're, we're really we're, we're really harsh on ourselves. And in fact, yep. it's been said that when we are judging others, we tend to judge others on the issues that we're most harsh with to ourselves. Well, yes. And yeah. well, you have to, you have two different things, those issues that we are most harsh with ourselves and also those issues that are not our issues. So meaning if you have a lot of people that are incredibly judgmental about one thing, because if they focus on that, they don't have to focus on their own sin. And so right. I have a, I have a rule that is my filter in life and it is my filter over my mouth. And this is in the book, and I know you've read the book, which is NJLG, No Judgment, Love and Grace. Every word that comes out of my mouth, every thought that I think, everything has to run through this filter of no judgment, love and grace. It's not my place to judge anyone. And what I've found, especially being around so many church leaders my entire life, is every leader that is judgmental of another person somehow, some way ends up falling into that very sin that they judged. I don't know why that is. I don't know how that is. I just know that it is. <laughs> yeah. And so exactly. I'm like, I don't know, but I do know I don't want to fall into that trap. So when someone comes to me with any kind of judgment, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. no judgment, none. Right. I have none. <laughs> well, and it's very important for us to pay attention to what it is we're judging people about. Because that could be a real big key to unlock those, you know, dark areas in our own hearts that we really would be best to deal with now than later. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and also what I'm hearing you say is you had this, you know, six month time and the years after that, you really did the work. I think a lot of people who are without hope or who are facing adversity, they just wish for some magic poof that they're just going to be set free out of nowhere, like like just on a dime or with the snap of a finger, change will happen to them without really 
being willing to dive in and do the deep heart work that's required for change to be the product. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it, you, you have to, you have to be in a space where you allow God to literally break you open yeah. in order to put you back together. And mm-hmm. I was at a place where the pain of staying the same was too great. Yeah. Well, and so much thanks for the resources that you found. I'm sure there was, well, I'm guessing there was community involved. I mean, often we don't heal uh, alone, you know, so I'm ho- hopeful that you found community as you move for, forward. Yeah. You know, it's interesting for me, I did it alone, but I'm also an introvert okay. by nature. So it is, I heal alone and, and we have to, we have to respect that we're all different. And an extrovert is going to need community around, is going to need that. For an introvert, and this is the case with a lot, and it definitely was the case with me, I would literally walk to the bookstore. I did a lot of walking because I found that when I was driving, I would tend to speed up a little bit in my thought process, and and my, my thoughts would go all over the place because you have things coming at you. When I would walk, I was able to just talk to the Lord the entire time because my life literally slowed down to a walking pace. And so I did a lot of walking and there was a bookstore that was about, I'd say about maybe three quarters of a mile to a mile away. And so I would walk to the bookstore and I would literally just look through the books in the Christian living section. It was my sort of my main stomping ground. And I would just read the back of the descriptions to see which one really spoke to me in that moment. And whatever the book was, then I would get that book and I would take it home with me. And so for me as an introvert, my healing had to come for me personally. And I mm-hmm. everyone, you just have to listen to your heart. But for me, it was important for me to go through this process alone. It just me and me and God. You and, and God and your community of books because your authors were speaking into books. you, right? And all of the authors were. And I mean, That's right. I had, by the time it was all over, I had an entire bookshelf of probably, I want to say maybe 30, 40 books that I had read. So it was definitely a community of authors like Nancy DeMoss, Michelle McKinney. It, it was a, it was an amazing community of authors. I'm yes, sure indeed. it was. Yes. Well, I am thankful you're here and sharing what you're sharing because you have written two books. The first of which was a New York Times bestseller entitled The Happy Wives Club, which you shared a little bit about that community with us earlier. But your latest book is called The Argument Free Marriage, a 28-day guide to creating the marriage you've always wanted with the spouse you wish you had. I love that title. (laughs) (laughs) Love that title. So, uh, wow, The Argument Free Marriage, what uh, a bold statement to make on the title cover of a book, Fawn argument-free marriage. Could this be real? (laughs) I know, you know, and it's so funny. It's, you hear a lot of times that the, you'll, you'll hear people that look at the, the title and go, this is one of those titles where it's not really the information inside doesn't match the title, or they just want it to shock you to get you to buy the book. No, no, I really am talking about an argument <laughs> marriage and giving you the 28 days to get there Yeah, and what to do with, with each step. And the beautiful thing about what's contained in the book is a lot of this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, me being a guinea pig. So a lot of it is just things that I have learned from the community over the years and applied in my own marriage. And a lot of the things are things that my husband and I have just figured out on our own along the way, because we've had a peaceful marriage from the very beginning. And the way that this book came about was not a a manuscript that I was putting together for a publisher. This was originally written as a, as a newlywed gift for my little sister who was getting married. I, I am love one that. of five girls. I know, right? I love the I've, story behind books. It's always there. There always <laughs> is one. There always is always, one. Yeah, always. And I was. I am one of five girls, and my two eldest sisters are. One is uh, has now just divorced her second husband, and one of them is on her second marriage. And then I had my other sister, the 
the one that's right below me in age, she was getting married. And I, I looked at my marriage and thought, gosh, I just, I really want her to have a marriage like the one that I have. And, and given what my sister's experiences are, it's clear that it's not generational. I don't believe a good marriage is generational, nor do I believe a bad marriage is generational. It is what you choose to do in the marriage from the very beginning. And so yes. I wanted to give her the tools from the very beginning. And so I asked my husband, Keith, could we just put together a list of our top 10 things that we've done that have kept our marriage peaceful. And I wanted us to just basically brainstorm. And my thought was I'd put it on like a plaque or something like that, that would remind them. And as he and I began brainstorming of what are the things that we do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis that keep our marriage so peaceful, the list just kept growing. (laughs) <laughs> and we looked at this and we're like, oh my, cause we'd never thought about it. We just knew that we had an amazing marriage and we didn't fight and we didn't argue. And yet we were incredibly honest with one another and told each other exactly what we wanted from each other. And we got what we wanted from each other, but we didn't fight about it. And so we just kind of made this list. And by the time we, we got done, it was like 28, I want to say, somewhere around there. Wow. And so when I began looking at the list, I thought, gosh, each of these, each of the things on this list, they make sense by themselves, but not necessarily without a story to go with them. The story would make it make more sense. And so I took a personal story and Keith and I sat down and we wrote a personal story in, in which we had applied every single principle to our own life. I love that story. (laughs) And that's how, that's how it be. That's how it came to life is we put this together as a wedding present for them. And we put it together in a journal style and we made one for them and we made one for our mom, for my mom. And she put it on the coffee table. And every time couples would come by, they would look at the book and go, we need that. We need that. We need Mm. that. And so I began creating these journals for other couples that were newly married. And so finally, after, you know, enough of that and enough people saying, you really need to publish this, then that's how this particular book came to be. That's how it was born. That's, that's Mm -hmm. wonderful. I love how organic it was. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think the best books are born out of life experience that is so organic like that. Uh, Because, you know, some people try to, you know, concoct or, or, you know, mold something out of just that they think will be successful, but it's not really a part of who they are. And um, I'll be honest, when I saw the title of this book, Fawn, I was thinking to myself, wow, let me just, (laughs) I picked up the book and I'm like, well, we are just going to see about this argument free plan she has. (laughs) And, um, And actually, I listened to the audiobook version of your book. Oh, did you? I love audiobooks and I, I I'm in the car a lot driving the kids because I have a lot of kids and I just kept pushing next track, next track, next track. And I found myself like I got to release into that track because I need to take notes because I was in the car and I couldn't take notes. And so um, and so then, of course, having a hard copy was was really wonderful because it's a type of book where you really want to have the hard copy to underline and dog ear and all of those sorts of things. Um, but, uh, you know, to me, after finishing it, I I thought to myself, you know, it Fawn and Keith are the real deal. And it's a testament to who you decided to become prior to marrying, I think, because yes. you did a lot of hard work individually, hard work. Mm-hmm. And I think we attract who we are in a sense. And, um, you know, it was, it was really obvious to me as you described these argument free tips, which we're going to get into, but it was obvious to me that you had a mutually respectful partnership where you could come to the table and really have real conversation and be able to manage it in a peaceful way. And it's a testament to the hard work that you've done, both of you. So absolutely. And we were, we were both both confident and comfortable with who we were. So we came into a relationship without any pretenses whatsoever. And I think that that had a lot to do with it. When he and I first met, well, number one, we were introduced by his mom. 
We're never gonna we're never gonna actually get to the tips in the book, so people will just have to buy the book. We're, Absolutely, we're just the background of the book here, and and, and 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 my in my story here with my hubby because I just I love talking about him because he's amazing. And but we we this this is the story. Of I th- I think I've heard the story. I I love have the you? story. Yeah, it should I share it? I think you should. But wasn't okay. she a hairdresser? She was. She yeah, was yeah. My, tell my, him the story. One of my closest girlfriends had been going to her for almost 15 years and I needed a new hairdresser. I don't even remember what happened to mine, but I need a new hairdresser. And so I went to her and the thing about African-American salons is (laughs) a couple of things. Number one, there tends to be a lot of people gossiping about celebrity gossip and magazine gossip and church gossip and just (laughs) nonsense. And I don't want any parts of that. Well, y'all are there a long time, aren't you? Oh, and that's the second like all day or something like that. The only reason I know this is because my my one of my very best friends adopted two children who are African American and one of them's a girl and she had a total hair crisis. She is like my first son. I could just buzz his hair and he was kind of like Velcro all over the place like even when you buzzed his head. But the girl, the girl hair, she had to get her friends at church who were African American to like get her onto the right track and then the braiding and all of this. It's like really involved, fun. It, it is really involved. And let me tell you, the most freeing thing for me was to discover that I didn't actually have to go to a black salon. <laughs> and that when I go to a white salon, it takes 45 minutes. It's just the most fascinating thing. But, oh, so but, it's culture too. It's like a culture yes, thing. Oh. It is. It's a complete cultural thing where Interesting. The, you stack client after you literally stack them where you have four in there at one time. So one person is in the dish bowl and one person is drying and one person is mm. in the, I mean, it, it's just got so much going on. <laughs> so <laughs> that I, should have so been I interesting go. for an introvert. <laughs> Oh, let me tell. Well, the good news is I am what they call a gregarious introvert, which means that the the difference between introversion and extroversion is really how you refresh. It's not necessarily how you are out in the world. Right. It's what you do to renew and to refresh. So to renew and to refresh, I need to be by myself. For now, my husband is just, I mean, we truly are one. So it's the same when he's around. But outside of that, it is like everything outside of that is is, uh, more... I have to exert a lot more energy to, to be around a lot of people. So we go into the salon and yes, my introversion kicks in completely. And so I would go in, I'd go in with my, at the time I was the co-owner of a, of a restaurant and I was its business manager. And so I would go in with payroll. I would go in with anything to keep me from having to talk to people. <laughs> and I, you stayed I really my- busy. Oh, I, the whole time I'd be on my computer, I'd be on my phone and I would literally only stop long enough to get my hair washed. And the rest of the time I would be doing something. And so there was one day after I'd been going for a little while and I went in and I, I was running late for my appointment. So I went in without anything. Oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) And I had to have a conversation and so the hairdresser who talks about her son all day, every day, it's her only child. He's the greatest <laughs> gift from God. He is the second coming. I mean, like, it, was, it, it, it was just, this is, it was just crazy how much proud mama, her son. Oh, proud, proud mama. And so we, we were, uh, she was washing my hair and we start having a conversation. And she said, you know, what's so interesting at the time, I think I was 25, 26. And she said, to watch you run your business, I can't imagine what you're going to be like in your forties. And so I'm laying there and I still to this day, don't know why I even said, opened up in this manner to someone who I don't really know. And I said, you know, the interesting thing is, is to me, this is a pastime. What I really would love to be is a great mom and a great wife. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, her world stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in the bowl and she looks down at me while she's, you know, washing my hair. And she says, you have to meet my son. Now, it's not what you want to hear when you're in a bowl and you can't run. <laughs> You're like, I'm sure your son is nice and all, but (laughs) exactly who number one, I already know it's your only son and who in the world wants to be set up by someone's mother. (laughs) No one I can imagine. No one I can think of. Bad idea. 
And uh, she said, before you leave, you just have to leave me your telephone number because you guys should be friends. You're very similar. I'm not going to try to set you guys up. You should be friends. And so every time, because the salon, the African-American salons, because they stack clients on top Mm -hmm. of each other, I could dodge out without her seeing or noticing I was leaving. I would just leave. Yeah. And so I did that. And every week I would come and, or every two weeks and she'd say, don't leave without giving me your number. And I would just smile. And at the end I would just dodge out. And and this went on for some time and I realized, and she just got more and more persistent. So I realized that either I was going to have to give her my telephone number for her son, or I was going to need to find a new hairdresser. And I had just found her. Right. And we know we get attached to our hair people. Very quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I I called my girlfriend and I said, please tell me about Odia's son. And she said, why? And I said, because she's trying to set me up with it. She said, her golden child? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. She said, she never tries to set anyone up with him. No one's good enough for him. I said, well... You've met the one who apparently is. So tell me about him. (laughs) And she just began telling me about him and how the whole, you know, 15 years that she'd been going there, that she'd see him come in. And, and even though he had this, you know, powerful job, he'd come in and sweep the floors for his mom and make sure she was safe going to her car and all these amazing things that had everything to do with character. Mm -hmm. And once she shared that with me, I decided to give my number but then she had to convince her son to call (laughs) and he had no interest whatsoever. Oh, that is hilarious. Yes. So she worked hard. We give her, we give her all credit, (laughs) but, but that's how, that's how we came to be. And when, when he first called me, finally, I want to say it was maybe a month after I gave her my telephone number, when he finally called, I literally picked up the phone and the voice on the other end said, hello, may I speak to Fawn? And I just started laughing and I said, this has got to be the second coming. (laughs) And we laughed so hard. He says, you've met my mother. Yes. Oh, (laughs) that is so good. I mean, we started that way and we laughed for three hours on a call and he's not a telephone person, but we sat there and we talked and we enjoyed our time Mm -hmm. together. And when we got to the end of the conversation, I said to him, if you wake up tomorrow morning, I know that you think that we've had this great conversation and we have this connection, but if you wake up tomorrow morning and you have no desire to call me, I want you to go with that feeling. Mm. And I want you to go with that feeling because I have prayed for the last, however many years it was at that time, I think maybe uh, five or six, that I have prayed that if a person is not my husband. I do not want to waste time. I have plenty of things to do than to just go out to date just to date. If he's not my husband, then I've asked the Lord to close that door. So if you wake up tomorrow morning and you do not want to call me, it's an answer from God. Don't fight it. <laughs> wow. That was our first call. <laughs> Nothing like just getting right to the heart of the matter, Fawn. Right to the matter. And so yeah. because we started a relationship very transparent, mm-hmm. And we started knowing I don't want to waste time. Yeah. And we were, and that's how we began our relationship. And everything we've done from that point forward has been in that same vein of transparency and honesty. And I think for a lot of people, they begin relationships trying to please another person instead of figuring out what it is that they really want and what it is that they really need Mm -hmm. and articulating that from the beginning. So what happens later on in their marriage is, is that they have unfulfilled needs that they never brought up in the beginning. Right. And unmet expectations that lead to Mm -hmm. frustration, anger, and resentment. Yep. And no conversation goes well when you come to the table with that already in place. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I know conflict and disagreement isn't avoidable always, but it doesn't have to be arguing. Can you just give us, you know, as we move toward um, concluding our time together, can you give us some idea? I know it's laid out in 28 days. It's very practical. It's something couples could read together. But practically, what is the definition of an argument versus a discussion and a few of the ways that you and Keith have worked out how to stay calm, stay vulnerable, um, 
things like that. Can you touch on some of that for me as we maneuver through this? Because my desire is for people to prevent crisis in their marriages and to really, you know, experience the kind of marriage that God really intends for us to enjoy. No, absolutely. And it's funny whenever people say, what's the difference between a discussion and an argument? You know the difference. (laughs) You can feel the difference, right? You can feel the difference. The difference is the emotion that is there. When you and I are right now, we are having a discussion. There is no negative emotion Mm -hmm. that rises. And we can feel when we're headed toward an argument, we can feel that negative emotion rising in our back and our neck and everything starts to tense up. When you feel that, that, my friends, is when you're heading into an argument. That's right. And that is when it has crossed over from being a discussion. When you are having a discussion, it is about both sides being heard. And it's about both sides coming to a mutual agreement that benefits both sides. Mm -hmm. When you are in an argument, you are so wanting to win your point, whatever that point is, and you're adamant that the other person has to be on to understand it the way that you understand it. And I have a friend of mine that said to me years ago, and I love, love, love this quote. She said, if the two of us are identical, then one of us is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And in, in marriage, so often you have people that want their spouses to be like them and to process information the way that they do and to communicate the way that they do. But then you would be marrying you. <laughs> <laughs> and why would you want that? That's, there's no fun there. And so really the, the crux to, of an argument-free marriage truly is to stick with the original emotion. Mm-hmm. So as you sort of alluded to just a moment ago, it's the vulnerability that remains in a conversation. When you accelerate from a discussion to an argument, at some point, vulnerability has been lost. Yes. When you remain in that place of vulnerability, that is when you are able to have a true conversation with your spouse. So for instance, if I were to say to you, think about the last time you had an argument with your spouse or any loved one for that matter, but the last time you had an argument with your spouse, what did you feel in that moment? And if you were to say, I was angry or I was mad or I was frustrated, that's not the original emotion. The original emotion always comes from a place of vulnerability. So that is, I was sad. I was disappointed. There, It is a completely different place that you're coming from when you decide to remain vulnerable and you're able to be honest with how you feel. And for a lot of people, they don't want to just say, you hurt me. They jump to saying whatever it is they need to say. And that comes from a place of anger. And it's not necessary. If you were to stay in that place of vulnerability, you could express exactly what you needed from your spouse, not only in that moment, but what you needed preceding that moment and what you need from them in order to get you back to a place of feeling whole again. Yeah. It's it's just, it's a for for a lot of people, there is a discomfort with remaining vulnerable. And so we go from being sad to mad and from hurt to frustrated and from disappointed to angry. And we move so quickly between these that we don't even recognize the shift. Right. Well, and I, I, I'm guessing you're familiar with Brene Brown's work. I, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Brene. And uh, one of her, her, things that she says about vulnerability is that it really is our most accurate measure of courage because it takes courage to show up and be willing to be seen and to have enough self-awareness to see that first emotion that's underneath the superficial ones that are just much easier to reflexively lash out with. Um, But to really see what's going on inside us takes practice and it takes a willingness to feel pain and to sit in that anxiety and discomfort of a moment where emotions are running high and rising. You know, I think she talks about in those times we tend to either move away from someone and shut down or we tend to move against them like we lash out at them or, you know, uh, displace ourselves from seeing the real emotion and we just, you know, call names or bring up things from the past or really mean spirited ways of people learn how to interact. But moving towards someone is really seeing that first emotion, like you said, and stopping that acceleration. Can you talk about as we are 
tempted to accelerate and, and move forward with those emotions that aren't the real emotions, what are some tips that we can do in that moment when we're feeling that those feelings, you know, to put a pause on that accelerator, so to speak, as far as the timing of an argument or the pace of, an, of a discussion, how we want to proceed? What I'm guessing there might be some people out there who who have struggled with this even today. Oh, absolutely. I would, the, the number one thing you can do is pause and don't say a word. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> everything you say can and will be used against you. <laughs> That's right. And you'll really regret hurting another. Absolutely. I think our intent isn't to hurt each other. Exactly. No, you, you pause. And this is, this is a humbling practice to do this because so often we find that we are the problem. And so that's a part of why we, uh, so many of us don't want to do this, but if you truly want to have the relationship that you've always dreamed, and it really is creating the marriage you've always wanted with the spouse you already have. The only way you're truly going to do that is if you pause and look inside yourself rather than the person that you're speaking to rather than your spouse Mm -hmm. and ask yourself, what is this emotion I'm feeling in this moment? Right. And unpeel those layers until you get to the original one. And a lot of times we will find that when we unpeel and we get to that original emotion, it has nothing to do with the person we're in a conversation with at that moment. It's what we bring to the table. It's what we're bringing to the table. It's a prior hurt. It's prior baggage. And not having dealt with that, then it just keeps coming up. And then you wonder why your spouse doesn't get it. Because for you, it's ever, it's evergreen. It's living on and it's ever new every single day. And it just keeps coming up in all these different conversations and different parts of life. And your spouse is like, what is the deal? Yeah, (laughs) right. And so when you pause and you you literally sit there and just pray and say what is this what is this original emotion and don't actually speak until you can identify it mm-hmm. and then once you identify what that emotion is then speak from that place so good so good i think what you said about being predisposed to bringing our own issues to the table that we don't even realize we have the pausing helps us take the time required to dive deep enough to do the work of seeing it. And you can't reflexively do that in the moment. Just nothing good is going to come of diving headstrong into an emotionally filled uh, conflict. You know? Yeah. I mean, what, and that's marriage or friendship or whatever relationship we have at work or whatever. It's every relationship this applies to. And I do see that a lot with the book. It says it's called the argument free marriage, but I have seen on a lot of reviews where they've said, this is really for every relationship. So she taught, but I focus on marriage because that's the one I know. Mm -hmm. That's the one that I can honestly say from day one has been argument free. I can't say that about every relationship in my life throughout the years, but that is the one that is really truly been that way for me. And it's the, it's the one relationship that I have maintained vulnerability from the very beginning. Yeah, and, and that's been the biggest difference. And vulnerability is a practice. It's something we have mm-hmm. to practice doing. We have Absolutely. to make a decision to be vulnerable. And I think the fear is uh, if I put myself out there and risk, is that person going to hurt me back? You know, and yeah. I, I think it's important in marriage to really believe that we are for one another to, to come with a predisposed idea that we're on each other's side. I think if we can shift our perspective, it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation where you were talking about focusing on what we do have instead of what we wish we could have or what we don't have. Um, Because there's a lot of things in our relationships, even if we're feeling discouraged about our marriage or how our interactions are going, there's always something to be thankful for if we choose to focus on it. You know, absolutely. I know you talk about that. Um, in closing, will you just share with us a little bit about how having a cue as a couple can help uh, and maybe the daily habit concept that you learned? Absolutely. So the two things, one, having a cue, having something between you and your spouse. A lot of times when we are out in public, 
a lot of times we will say things, do things, we'll respond in such a way to our spouse that it bothers them or it, it embarrasses them or it hurts them. And it's not our intention. And we all do it. And having a cue that is between the two of you. So for instance, for my husband and I, if we're sitting down or even if we're standing up, he'll just squeeze my hand, two quick squeezes. And I will know that whatever I just said or whatever I just did, that I need to change course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That for, for whatever reason, it's not something that he's appreciating. And I do the exact same thing with him. And, and a lot of times, again, it goes back to, it may have nothing to do with our spouse whatsoever. It mm-hmm. could have something to do with something else that happened 30 years ago. Right. And, but just being brought up in a specific way in a specific time. So having a cue that is between you and your spouse that you can like kind of shut things down very quickly when you are in public so that it doesn't cause you harm for when you're in private. Right. Right. So that is having that mutual. I loved that. The daily ritual is it's something that I learned when I did my first book and I traveled around the world and I went to 12 countries and six continents and really wanted to find the common denominators among the happily married couples that had been happily married for 25 years or more. So they'd gone through every struggle in life. They'd had children, gone through everything that you're going to go through, you're typically going to go through in a 25-year period of time. And they came out on the other side stronger, happier, more loving. I wanted to know what were those common denominators. And one of the things that amazed me as I went from country to country, continent to continent, is none of these people knew each other, completely different backgrounds, many different religions, just different upbringings, different social economic backgrounds, but they all had a daily ritual, something that they did every single day together. So a couple in South Africa, every morning, husband goes downstairs, gets two cups of coffee, the wife opens up the windows in their bedroom, uh, and they get back in the bed before sunrise, and they watch all the city lights in Cape Town come Mm. on together. And that's what they call their morning board meeting. They talk about everything that they have scheduled that day. If they have meetings, if they're not getting together for dinner because a meeting is going to run late, but they also use that as a time to discuss anything that was unsaid the day before. And so you have this period of time, whether it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, where you're able to connect and that connection daily builds trust and makes sure that nothing goes left unsaid. There are no molehills turning into mountains. Everything stays a molehill. That's right. Keeping short accounts, it's so important, but that requires time and investment and connection. And absolutely, I love that you found that among all those couples and were able to isolate that out and uh, put it into practice between you and Keith and then share it with all of us. I, I, I couldn't cheer that one on more. Yeah, neither <laughs> could I. I absolutely love it. Well, Fawn, I am so thankful that you took this gift for your sister that was a journal copy on your mom's table that you gave as gifts and you uh, dared to publish it for the world. I'm just cheering you on for what it's going to do in the hearts and lives of people and um, planning to give a copy of your book away to some fun listeners. You guys will have to hang in there and hear how, how to get a copy of that or win a copy. But Fawn, thank you so much for taking the time to just tell me your story. I just feel so blessed to have heard parts and bits of your life and how God has moved and worked and prepared you for what you're doing and how you're serving uh, so many. And are there any resources beyond your book that you have really found to be so helpful for anybody listening? And then share with us where they can all find you and connect with you online. Sure. So I will start with the latter question. You can find me at all things Happy Wives Club. So any <laughs> social any social network that you're on, backslash Happy Wives Club okay. or the site is happywivesclub.com. The resources, it really just depends on what a what a couple is going through. If sex is your issue, if there is a challenge there, I highly recommend Dr. Kevin Lehman's sheet music. Highly, highly, highly recommend that. If the issue is money, I highly recommend Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. Mm. And uh, on 
if you need to dive in a little bit more than even what my book does in terms of vulnerability, then I would refer to Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm reading her Rising Strong, which is her latest one. And if the part, it, it just struck me being so similar to what you and Keith are implementing, um, how she talks about isolating that emotion, getting curious about our emotion, and even writing down the stories that we make up in our own mind so we can, you know, talk about them and shatter the lies that we tell ourselves. And so I love that, that you um, are recommending that too. So, so good. Well, Fawn, thank you again. I'm so thankful for you. And I hope you have an amazing day. Oh, thank you. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's all for this episode. I'm so thankful to Fawn for coming here and sharing her, not only her mud story, but her wisdom and advice. And don't you just love how organic this book was, how it was created? It was just a gift to her sister. And she, um, you know, out of demand and saw the need and it was meeting people right where they needed it in their relationships. And she's been generous enough to publish it for all of us. And so I would love nothing more than to give one of you a copy. It's an advanced reader copy of this book that I received from the publisher. And all you have to do to be entered to win a copy of this book is to go to iTunes. And I want you to subscribe to this show and leave a rating and review. That's all you have to do. Now, sometimes the name you leave as a rating and review is not your real name. And so it would be hard for me to track you down. So if you don't mind after subscribing and writing the review, if you would reach out to me on social media or send me an email and let me know that you did that. And I know those of you who've who've left ratings and reviews before, you can always just update your latest one and that'll enter you as well. And so I look forward to hearing from you and your feedback about the show. And I'm excited to send one of you a copy of Fawn's book. Now, for those of you, if you don't win the copy, I want you to know how you can get a free copy. And I listened to Fawn's book on audiobook and I loved it. And you can receive a free audiobook today if you go to mudstoriesbook.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial with Audible, they will allow you to download Fawn's book for free today. And so all you have to do is go to mudstoriesbook.com and you can get a free audiobook. And I'd love for you to hear it. It's really wonderful. So thank you to those of you who have followed this last month with me on the series that I wrote, 31 Days, What I Learned and What you should know before an affair. Um, It was no easy feat to write for 31 days in a row, and I did pour my heart out. I promised to be real and authentic and honest and hold nothing back, and I think I did that, and I'm so thankful to those of you who followed along. If you missed that series, you can read it on my blog by going to JackieWatkins.com forward slash before an affair, and all the posts are listed right there. I'd also love nothing more than to send you my 10 favorite resources for finding freedom from failure. And if that's something that you'd love to have, I'd love to send it to you. All you have to do is text to the number 33444 and you text the word subscribe mud stories and I'll be happy to deliver that to you for completely free to your email. And I hope that that blesses you and that'll allow you to keep up with me and the posts. And you can always change your subscriptions at any time. You can get them as I publish them. You can get a weekly summary of what I've put out each week, or you can just sign up to receive my periodic personal newsletter, which are just notes from me. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you. I have some exciting things coming up. I'm going to be implementing some ways to have some personal conversations with some of you. And so I hope, uh, you know, keep your eyes out for that. I'm going to be rolling that out soon. And I can't wait to join you next week with a new guest. We are going to have a special guy with us next week. And I don't think you're going to want to miss it. He's amazing. His name is Seth Haynes. He is the husband to Amber Haynes, who was on episode 54. So if you want to prepare to hear Seth, maybe if you missed episode 54, you can go back and listen to Amber's interview all about shame. It was fantastic. And I have just fallen in love with who they are. And Seth just came out with his book coming clean. And it's really a story about all the pain that we all face. And I can't wait for you to hear that. So don't forget, go out, subscribe to the Mud Stories podcast, leave a rating, a review, and I can't wait to send Fawn's book to one of you. And I can't wait to meet you here next week. And so today, no matter what it is you're facing, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, may you find 
a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. A never-ending robber feels a press upon my mind I pull a shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. A never ending mother feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you song